Hi there, I'm Norm Allen. I'm the director of Touchstone Ministries. We've been offering, encouraging, and teaching spiritual friendship uh, for 30 plus years. And uh, this on Further Reflection podcast is a series of uh, sporadic offerings to explore some of the issues around spiritual friendship that we've discovered over the years. Joining me today is a longtime friend, Pekka Barbas, whose subject matter is really going to be transitions in life. Um, and we're going to explore that together. We've been friends for long before Touchstone started, but he's been a part of Touchstone since we began 36 years ago. And uh, so he understands us. He's been a good friend and a good supporter. Uh, he's been through transitions from moving from Finland and arriving in Canada as a youngster and being called a DP, a displaced person. He's been through the transition of uh, becoming a married man and having two kids, uh, Serena and Vanessa. Uh, he has moved into the business world with his skills in art and design and advertising, been through many transitions in business, up and down, some success, some failure, and then uh, sold his business and has transitioned into retirement. He also has been through the transition of becoming a grandparent and having one of his daughters uh, come out of the closet in within the context of their very conservative uh, theological community. Uh, he's also been through uh, the transitions that come with age and stage in his own personal spiritual journey in discovering uh, the love of God for him and for the world around him. So I'm going to be uh, spending some time asking Pekka some questions. He's going to provide some answers, and uh, we're going to see where Hopefully. this ultimately takes us. So, so Pekka, why don't you talk about uh, the beginnings uh, of your journey into Canada and what that was like to be uh, a youngster in the early 1950s, uh, arriving in post-war from post-war Finland uh, to uh, post-war Canada? Yeah, we um, immigrated to Canada in the mid-1950s. Uh, and uh, I think the reasoning that we ended up coming here is my parents were, uh, were very, very much concerned and afraid of what was happening with the big next-door neighbor. My dad had fought in the war against the Soviets and uh, saw their aggressive expansionism and uh, wanted to uh, move the family and especially the children to a more safe and secure place. And so uh, we immigrated to um, Toronto uh, in 1955. Uh, and as Norm mentioned, uh, at that time, it was still shortly after the war. And uh, with all the immigration coming, we were considered DPs or displaced persons and uh, moved into a real rough and tumble, uh, blue collar working neighborhood and, uh, uh, and, and started our journey there. Um, now, were you, were you uh, like, were you called a DP? Were you just beat up? Where did you wear funny clothes? You couldn't speak English? Well, all of, all, all of, the, uh, all of what you mentioned, um, the funny little story was uh, we started in school and we were wearing the funny clothes that European kids wore at that time. And, uh, you know, the local kids were in t-shirts and jeans here. 
And uh, so we definitely stood out. And uh, literally, you know, every day after school, there was three of us Finnish boys who were living in the same, renting in the same house. Uh, we'd get beat up. There'd be a gang of kids waiting for us as we left the school. And they would, you know, just bounce on us. And, uh, you know, we'd go home with ripped clothes and, you know, dirty faces and bruises and that sort of stuff. And um, my mom uh, is... Uh, five foot nothing and, and, and a truly safety person. And one day I was able to escape and tell my mom, they're beating us up again. My mom in her holy fear picked up a belt and went way running into this group and wailing away at them uh, with her belt. And we were left alone after that. And so that was sort of the beginning of our transition. Uh, and um, yeah, it was, it was very interesting. We uh, moved, I think every, year, year and a half to different rental places uh, until my parents then finally bought their first home in the early 1960s. And your dad was establishing a business? No, my dad was a carpenter. Well, he was actually a farmer. Uh, we uh, lived on a farm in Finland and uh, he sold the farm and moved here and uh, went to work as a carpenter for uh, his brother who had immigrated a little, a little earlier. And what role did uh, church and faith play in that period of sort of growing up in Canada, learning the language and all that sort of stuff? Oh, it was interesting. I was just thinking about it before um, starting this conversation. And I think uh, our family was the third generation uh, of, uh, of uh, born-again Christians. Uh, my um, my grandparents uh, were, were devout uh, Christians and, uh, and, and, pass along their faith to their children, although my father and brothers really didn't take to it because the war came along and, uh, and they saw some pretty horrid things in that. But uh, on um, returning from the war, they were all traumatized and uh, uh, three of, uh, of, uh, my, uh, of dad's brothers all came to the Lord uh, as a result of that after in soul searching and coming to terms with the horrors that they saw. So their view wasn't that yeah. they didn't sort of say war was so horrible, I can't believe in God. It was war was so horrible, I have to, or? Pretty much that, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so then we've been, uh, we were raised in a Christian home right from uh, as far back as I can remember, when we lived on the farm in Finland, my mom was a Sunday school teacher for the local kids uh, in the neighborhood. And coming over here, we joined the Finnish church, and uh, we grew up in the church our entire lives. And did and, that help you with the transition to English and to Canadian culture, or was there yeah, a tension between I mean, the two? Yeah, it did. Um, my uh, having a Christian community, a Finnish Christian community here, was an enormous support because we didn't speak the language. My mom and dad basically had uh, sold everything, and we came with I think two or three trunks, suitcases uh, here to start something in a different country, not knowing the language or the culture or the educational system. So it was a huge risk on their part. And so, if you were to um uh sort of talk about how you then so you're a high school student you're thinking about what you were going to do with your life uh what kinds of transitions did you go through there um well we you know again like i told you we lived in these blue collar neighborhoods and uh um we made friends with the uh 
the, the other young people around us. And, uh, you know, we went through scraps and we were, we were rather precocious uh, young kids. Uh, and um, uh, the interesting thing is that uh, given mom and dad's uh, teaching and care and love for us, despite the fact that we got into trouble in that, uh, I just remember very clearly that I'd come home and in the evening I'd have to confess my sins to my mom. <laughs> so who was scarier, God or your mother? <laughs> uh, both. And so, but, but my mom was dear and loving. And, uh, you know, we were disciplined, you know, when, when we got caught doing bad things. Uh, but it was all done in love. And uh, despite the fact that, you know, I was in terror of, you know, getting a spanking from my mom, uh, you, know, at, you know, looking at it in hindsight, it was all done with a great deal of love and care and teaching. So when I first met you in the 70s, uh, when I was with Youth for Christ and you were with Creative Circle. Uh, uh, Creative Circle. Before Creative. Was, yeah. So you were working with, uh, what's his name, Gray at, at LePage. PAOC, yeah. Oh, you were at PAOC. Press. Anyway, um, my recollection is when you were in, sort of you, in your beginning days of the real estate world with uh, Creative Circle. So you were with... Uh, uh, what's his name? Gray at Royal LePage. That's right. Yeah, Jose LePage in those days. So now, how did how did how did you sort of go from being a guy who was a Pentecostal boy uh, working in the denominational head office to end up becoming not only a artistic but also a creative talent and then entrepreneur to create your own several businesses in different partnerships over over the next uh, 35 or 40 years. Uh, what sort of drove you or what were the core things that caused you to have that kind of energy to do what you do? You know, I mean, I, I think in a sense, entrepreneurship is uh, you either have it, uh, you know, that, that notion of taking risk to do something that you really want to do or you, or you don't. And I was one of these risk takers. Uh, and um, after I left, uh, working at the head, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada head office, um, I really, I really had this sort of drive to want to do something on my own, and um, it started that journey. First of all, going to work for LePage in their marketing division uh, for some years, and um, then uh, going to work for one of the national ad agencies. I, I always had this thing in my you know, sort of in my gut that I wanted to have my own name on the door. And it was just one of these driving things that when the opportunity came, I was actually given a pink slip. Uh, I saw opportunity in it. And, um, you know, I took a couple of partners with me and we started up our own business, taking the business that we were servicing with us. And so that was a really big risk. I already had a mortgage on the house and all that, but I was, uh, at that point, I was young enough. I was willing to risk it all. To, how, old were you, how, old you, how old were you when you started that? Uh, I would say I was probably, uh, without doing the math, I was probably in my late 20s uh, to maybe early 30s. So you and two of your partners took the book of business that you had for the, for the right, yeah. mind, we did We did it, you know, really, uh, I thought, you know, well, in that the um, ad agency that I was with was having to rationalize their business because they had thought the McDonald's business and the Ford business and they were they were downsizing and uh, they were going to have to down close our little group that we were in 
And so uh, we went to the owners and we said, listen, we'd like to take this business with us, uh, you know, uh, so that you don't get sued for breach of contract. And, um, and so they said, sure, our blessing, go do it. By the way, we'll give you six months rent free space to start your business. Uh, very good. So how many different uh, businesses? Uh, so that first one was Seppi Varvis? No, it was actually um, Solway Varvis. Solway Varvis. And, and then we added another partner, it became Seppi Varvis. And then from there, I think I had another three or four different companies. Right. And the last one was Drive. That's right, yeah. And Pekka is a real driver. Now, <laughs> uh, and, and Pekka's been quite involved in us even doing this sort of thing. Uh, our whole social media side of things has been driving the development of a lot of that for Touchstone, which has been a real gift to us as he retired. So what, what, what role did your faith in God play in your practice of your business, in your feelings about your business, and your sense of purpose in your businesses? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I think it first started off right after I graduated. I got a, a, a job at the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada head office, and I think I was there for about five years. And I, it was a really wonderful grounding for me to do my work in a way that I, that I thought and I believed had purpose to it. And to do my work uh, ethically, honestly, with a sense of integrity to it. So I, I think that was a good grounding for where I went afterwards. Because uh, the, the advertising industry and the real estate industry, both of them are not necessarily known to be, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, sometimes people color outside the lines would be a way to put it. So, so would you say you were navigating interesting territory that maybe your church family would be suspicious of or? I don't know that I, uh, the church family was suspicious of it. Uh, I, you know, I mean, I, I continued to do some type of freelance work uh, up to a point for uh, Christian camps and some of the other organizations while I was working uh, a secular job. Uh, but um, yeah, there definitely are a lot of gray areas, you know, within both the uh, advertising marketing business, because it's a business of persuasion and uh, putting your best foot forward. And it's so easy to exaggerate and to push that boundary of what is truth and what isn't. Um, and so it, that was a constant challenge, part I think more so on the business front than within my church family and, uh, and, and, and their sort of view of what, what I did. Uh, and so having a sense of integrity and honesty in working in a secular, uh, context you know it was uh, that that part I found challenging because I had to try to put the put my best foot forward on whatever we were promoting and yet try to remain honest about it and, hey that's a real challenge now years ago you you know you were part of one of the earliest groups of touchstone and you're part of the same you know sort of the the inheritors of that original group uh, what role did the group of guys that you still meet with uh, play in navigating some of the shoals of, uh, <laughs> of the advertising and real estate industry? Um, well, it was actually, I really found the Touchstone groups uh, extremely helpful. They really kind of were my accountability group uh, in a sense, because we met regularly and we were able to be pretty honest with each other in the group and uh, raise 
ethics questions and uh, a sense of honesty and being, uh, you know, Jesus' presence out in the marketplace. Uh, and uh, so that was sort of, you know, one of the things that I really kind of consider church uh, in that we met regularly, you know, and we worshiped together and we looked at scripture together and we talked about, uh, about being that person of integrity in, in, in a pretty rough and tumble marketplace. Now, in that early days of Touchstone, I was borrowing space from a friend uh, who had uh, just around the market crash of 87 had, with fear and trepidation, taken a company public and I was borrowing office space from them. Uh, at one point, there was a discussion about me becoming a member of their board as an ethical advisor. And one of mm -hmm. the attractions to that would be maybe it would get some uh, attention in the business pages of the Globe and Mail or Financial Post or whatever. I remember discussing this with you, and you said uh, you were opposed to it, and if we want attention, we can easily get it because that's your business. You know how to promote things but you were opposed to it because you felt it violated a sense of the spirit of what you were trying to do with that group of guys you were with. Can you explain that? Yeah, um, I really um, had kind of strong feelings about the fact that our faith and our journey as Christians is not something to be marketed. Um, you know, where you have an agenda and you're trying to sell a product or you're trying to sell something. It was really more... Uh, for me about community and uh, just communicating and sharing uh, something that was very deep-seated in each one of us. And I just thought that, that marketing would have been a betrayal of that. It's interesting, too. You, I mean, you were not immune to uh, hard work and overnights and showing up at the group at 7 o'clock in the morning on the way home from having done an all-nighter to get a project finished. Um, how did you maintain some sort of healthy relationship with your wife, Anita, and the kids and all of that sort of stuff? Because what you were, you were in the middle of an extremely demanding uh, mm -hmm. business environment, and it was your own business and your own money. So that has a way of putting more pressure on you than just if you're working on a project for somebody else. Yeah, it was probably, I would say it was the biggest challenge of my life. Uh, trying to have a balance in between um, starting up a business, uh, literally with no capital be, to be able to invest it into it, so it was all sweat equity, uh, and um, working around the clock to be able to make the business viable. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Anita, my wife, uh, was just a saint through that process because I was so tired and so obsessed with starting up the business that um, that that I ended up sacrificing a lot for that, and uh, I had huge remorse, you know, later on over some of that because uh, the children weren't seeing me, and I had to. Uh, and there came a point where I really had to start changing my life, my schedule, so that I made room for them. Uh, in addition to the, you know, really heavy and deadline-oriented business that that we were in. And one of the things I remember is you seem to be very actively involved in ringette. That <laughs> you, were, you were traveling, traveling everywhere, going to, they were very good ringette players and mm -hmm. uh, you, they were involved in high level competition and you were just everywhere. Yeah. Was that, well, that, that, was that part of that process? 
It was very much, yeah. Uh, I, I thought I need to commit myself to something, to things with my family. And so the, our, both our girls were, were very athletic and uh, showed a real aptitude for sports. And so it wasn't just bring it, which was sort of girls hockey, they called it at that time. It was baseball and it was field hockey and uh, it was ice hockey and, you know, all of those. And so uh, I definitely did encourage it, but that was the one time that I could really be with them. Uh, I was sat on the coach's bench and, and that, and, you know, so we would have good conversations about it. And if we had to go to a tournament out of town, you know, you've got to spend two hours, three hours, sometimes as much as five hours in a car, uh, and you got to talk about something. And so, you know, we had some really good in-depth sulfur conversations and, and, and just sharing through those times. Right. Now, um, how long have you been married to Anita? 48 years. All right. And you uh, are coming up to 50 in a couple, so you'll have all kinds of expensive plans, no doubt, uh, for that. <laughs> Um, uh, now you've been through uh, transitions um, in that uh, family setting. So uh, you've gone from being a parent to father of the bride to grandparent on one side, and then within the context of your conservative background, uh, you had one daughter who has come out as uh, a gay person, and. Uh, and that was a sort of a, an interesting time for you, as I recall our conversation some mm -hmm. years ago, as you tried to figure out what do I do about something that was a subject that was framed in very black and white and sometimes harsh terms within the tribes in which we were raised. And yet what we were raised with didn't seem to fit the situation that you were faced with. Mm -hmm. uh, would that be a fair... Yeah, it, it is. Uh, but Norma, I'd have to say you were a great counsel for me, as was our, uh, our, our Touchstone Breakfast Group. Right, uh, and, uh, you were a great sounding board and gave great advice and also referrals um, for it. Uh, you know, I started having a premonition at, at one time. Uh, Vanessa, you know, uh, we grew up in the church. Our children went to Sunday school. They went to youth group. Uh, they were leaders uh, in, in their youth group. And um, Vanessa in particular, you know, she uh, was in the, in the worship group and she uh, went on missions trips and that, you know, through her youth uh, and was, uh, was baptized uh, on her own request. And um, so, you know, we were a church family and we shared our deep faith with them and uh, um, they were a part of it. Um, but what happens is as you become adult, you really have to take ownership of your faith in an entirely different way and come to terms with who you are. And it takes some time. Um, and uh, I think Vanessa was about 30 uh, when she finally came to that realization that her um, sexual orientation was different. Uh, she had... Uh, been able to travel around the world and uh, studied uh, in China and in England for her master's and being away from home and uh, being exposed to a world outside our particular bubble uh, really kind of opened her eyes in a different way. And um, when she shared uh, with me first uh, that I was, I had already 
talk with you, Norm, and I had sought some counseling because I really kind of had the sense that something was going to happen when she came home for Christmas. And um, so I, I think I was sort of prepared for it um, in that uh, I needed to know how to respond if she, you know, if she did share with me. Um, and so we went for that walk in the snow and uh, she did tell me that, you know, that she was gay. And so the, the advice that I had gotten was whatever you do, the first words that you say are going to be the things she remembers for life. And so um, all I can tell you is we just cried and we hugged. And I told her I love her as much now as I did yesterday. It's still an emotional thing. But the tough part for me was um, she literally had to leave for the airport because she was um, uh, heading back to London because she was still she was still in school uh, in Sheffield. And she said, uh, before we got back to the house, would you tell mom? <laughs> and so uh, I, um, I, Took it to the airport and it took about a week before I had the courage to be able to share with Anita and I, it completely blindsided her. Uh, she was totally unprepared for it. And uh, Norm, you had given us a counselor's name and I had already seen the counselor and I had set up appointments for us to, uh, to get some counseling on how to deal with this. It was a Christian counselor that was, you know, and she did a wonderful, wonderful job. And so uh, Vanessa, when she got back, she was in China at the, uh, then at that time. And uh, she was the one who said, because she called me up and she said, so how to go, Dad? And I said, well, Mom's having a hard time with it. And she said, well, listen, I'm coming home and I'd like to go to a counseling session with you and Mom. And um, so she just said, you know, then she finally talked to Anita and Anita said, you know, I said, listen, I love you and that, but I really got to know, how are you and God? And uh, Vanessa said, um, God and I are just fine. It's people I have a problem with. <laughs> well, and, that's true for most of us. <laughs> yeah. And no, so, no, so, we, so she was having to work through a lot of issues on her own as well. And, and, and it's so, like, this gets down to, um, like, your issues weren't around, do you love your daughter? Uh, do you respect your daughter? Does she have integrity? Does she have faith? Your issues were, how do I put together some understanding of the gospel uh, in the context of what I have really been raised in, which is very different with, from what I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to say, what does your faith inform you about a situation now uh, where it isn't about behavior or morality, it's about identity, um, where does that all connect for you and how, how have the, how, I mean, I think there probably have been some good people and yeah. some unfortunate people, but you know, Vanessa's point is probably true that she would have felt rejection by the institutions in which she was raised or would have been concerned that that might've been the case. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it, there was a lot of confusion uh, in the beginning, but uh, again, uh, I think Norm, you recommended another family who had gone through, the same kind of a journey. And so they came to see us and uh, started us on this process of just 
prayer and study and looking at scripture and reading and that that we went through. And um, I'd, I'd have to say that I don't think anybody understands the situation unless they're having to have gone through it because right. you, you know, you, it, it, it's your child that you're dealing with and trying to understand it and, and love them through this whole process is, is tough. Uh, and so uh, we joined a support group of Christian families with gay children who I think really helped us work our way through that process of coming to understand that Vanessa is as loved by God as everybody else. And um, understanding uh, her orientation and um, I was going to say be comfortable with it, uh, it that, that's taken a time. But I, I am at peace with it and uh, you have a great relationship with her you and anita both yeah, we do, yeah. lots of vacations mm -hmm. um so you know and and she has a great relationship with serena as far as i know mm -hmm. and so that's the the nice thing like i remember at your mom's funeral a year ago uh when the grandkids were up on the stage uh vanessa was very much part of that and that was in your finnish pentecostal church and i thought that was a wonderful moment Mm -hmm. where both of your daughters were equally accepted to speak on behalf of their grandmother uh, in that context. And uh, so, it, so it's, a, it's pretty, because uh, the interesting thing, and I don't know whether you agree with this, the Bible doesn't actually have a lot to say about people with an identity that's different than just our traditional male female. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. how we then cope with what do we think being followers of Jesus means about all this is actually a very complex. It is a very complex issue. And I've certainly, uh, my uh, belief and uh, the way I view scripture, the way I view the teaching that we've gotten has changed enormously as a result of this. Um, How so? I'm very supportive of Vanessa uh, and um, and and I'm proud of what she's done and where she is, and the fact that she had the honesty to uh, to come forth with it and and be honest about it rather than try to hide it. And so, you know, I love her as much now as I ever did. I, but I love her more. Right. And t and talk uh, about uh, Serena and Byron and I forget Serena's <laughs> husband's name. Yeah, Andrew. Yeah. Ah, well, listen, there, little Byron is the joy of our life. Um, he's I how old now? I, I'm sorry? How old is he now? He's about two years, four or five months. <laughs> and uh, he's such a joy and a blessing for us. Um, I just love him to pieces. And it's, it's just, it's incredibly joyful to be uh, with him and to be with Serena and Andrea just to celebrate this little, uh, this little, little gift from God. Now, to talk about your own sort of spiritual journey uh, and your inner journey of conversation with God, your perhaps expanding understanding of your experience with God over the, the years as we have aged together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is. You know, it's been, a journey, it's, it's been an up and down journey, I have to admit. Uh, I think there were a lot of years when uh, I was just completely obsessed with business where my faith walk really kind of took a bit of a backseat and I was living a double life in that I live, I work in a very secular kind of a business and, uh, and yet at the same time I was attending church, I think I was even bored of the church at the time in that, but they were two completely separate 
things. And there was a time when I really started to have to come to terms with it. And I think I went agnostic for some time just because I just had so many doubts and so many questions. And I really, one of the big challenges for me was not understanding the love of God. And uh, it was finally, I think it started to sort of break when we went on that, that, that weekend retreat and you, um, you gave me some great advice. And uh, I must have, whatever I said must have been translated by the Holy Spirit into something useful. But what, yeah. what was the advice and then what was your experience? Uh, on I, was, I was really questioning God. And uh, you told me to just, just go by myself. And uh, you gave me some readings in that. And he said, just uh, go sit somewhere and uh, imagine that you're sitting in your father's lap and you ask him those tough questions. And, you know, put out your thoughts. And uh, again, for me, that was one of those incredible moments where I really got to sense and feel and know God differently. And uh, that started a whole new search for me in reading and in uh, viewing scripture and in prayer. And that sort of uh, journey and that, that, that searching uh, has gone on ever since. And you give me a bunch of good books to read, which I've gone through. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the interesting thing is, is that you are a widely read uh, person. You think uh, deeply, and you're not afraid to voice uh, doubts and questions. But I've I've never felt that you were walking away from God by being honest about your doubts and questions. I felt like you were just taking God seriously. And so, and that God could ultimately handle the questions. Uh, would you agree with that or? Yeah, very much. Um, I, I'm a sort of a perpetual doubter and questioner. And uh, my wife rolls her eyes when I, I start, you know, going down a certain path and say, here we go again. Uh, but it is, um, I would say it's really uh, the questioning and, and searching for answers and finding some answers and not finding some yet uh, has definitely deepened my faith. And uh, I think honesty is, uh, is, is incredibly crucial in this because I think I was just living in denial for the longest time over you know, some of these issues when I just refused to face them. And um, yeah, and so I feel I'm in a very, very different place now than I was even 10 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think probably the story I I mentioned to the guys on the retreat was one of my learning experiences was when my grandson, who's now 15, was about 18 months old, and I was babysitting uh, him in Vancouver, where they, Heidi and her husband Mark lived at the time, and um, he was it was after supper, and he was scrambling around the scrambling around the house and the townhouse where they lived, and. And I was, my job was just to keep him from killing himself or whatever. And uh, then he started to slow down. And I kept thinking, you know, there's something about my relationship with him that's like the Heavenly Father's relationship with me. It's given me lots of space, just trying to keep me from doing anything too self-destructive. And mm -hmm. anyway, there came a point where Wade was, uh, uh, got up on my lap and we were doing a few things and he had a... Uh, a beach ball on a on a uh, an elastic band, and he was going like banging it and banging it at high speed and high speed and high speed, and then it just started to slow down, 
and it slowed down and it slowed down and his hand hit my lap and his head hit my chest and he went to sleep. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what a great picture of what some kinds of prayer are that our, our prayer experience is just a lay back on the father's chest and mm -hmm. to experience his love. And in that retreat setting, my recollection is you not only lay back on the father's chest, you lay back on a couch down in the bunkie near the lake. I and did. Son, talk about that experience. Well, it was, it was, it was one of those, it's the, you know, the sun was shining and uh, it was warm there and I was sort of reclined on the couch and I was imagining myself sitting in my father's lap, who I sort of, you know, just that, that visual that I had in front of me, but realizing it was God and being open and honest and then slowly sort of drifting off for a nap. <laughs> and then when you woke up, yeah, what happened? Well, it was just when I woke up, I just had the sense of peace, and uh, that was completely different from before that entire, you know, sort of thing happened before I, I went into that private time, you know, on that couch. And one, one last question, uh, Pekka. Um, you've been married to Anita for 48 years. Now, I've been married coming into my 52nd year. And it's not all been peaches and cream, and it's not all, I'm definitely, Susan and I have had lots of opportunities for growth and development. Uh, but we would say it's been worth uh, the scraps and the, the challenges and the, the difficult times. Talk about 48 years of marriage and the ups and downs and the value of it all to you and how valuable Anita has been for you to be get to this point. I would say she's been incredibly valuable. We've we've had our differences, like all married couples do, uh, and uh, um, uh, I would say that she's been that side of me that was really lacking, and uh, her sensitivity and her just sort of intuition and her wisdom during these difficult times uh, really has just you know sort of sustained me. And I look at it now and said, I would have been a very, very different self-centered person, you know, had I not married Anita and uh, just sort of lived through these tough times together. Probably one of the things that just, that comes to mind uh, is that moment when uh, you had mentioned these 87, 88, 89, you know, the recession, when things got very, very difficult and, um, and, uh, our company had to declare bankruptcy, and consequently, I had all kinds of uh, covenants on lines of credit and that, and I ended up having to go bankrupt myself. And I had to unburden it all on Anita, and she said, you know what, just know that I love you, and your kids love you, and that's the important part. You know, I said, listen, we'll work our way through this, and, uh, you know, if we have to live simpler, we'll do that. And so she just had that sort of rock solid stability that I lacked during that time that just really helped me get through an incredibly difficult time in my life. Any other things you'd like to add before we, I'd make a couple of closing comments? No, I think that's about it. Okay. We've covered a fair bit of ground. Well, Pekka, thank you very much for taking the time to, uh, to do this. Um, Pekka has been a great friend to me personally, has been a great stimulus by his questions and his wisdom as he has explored them. Uh, thank you for 
watching this video with us. We hope you enjoy it. And we trust that some of the things that uh, Pekka has talked about might actually encourage you in your own journey in business, in family, uh, amongst friendships, and that you might uh, be able to sit quietly uh, in the Father's lap, put your head back on his chest, and sense the breath of God in your life and experience his peace and his power and his hope as he is revealed in Jesus Christ. So thanks for being with us, and we uh, hope one day we'll have another one of these podcasts.